Take our Bibles to Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews chapter number 7 today. We're moving right along through the book of Hebrews. And today we got the entire chapter to go through. So how in the world are we going to do an entire chapter? I don't know, but we're going to try. And so we're going to see where we get today. Hebrews chapter number 7. Hebrews 7. And um, when I was going to do this series, I've gone to where I will go verse by verse, so I go through the entire thing. This really would be portions of this I would probably just skip and move forward on myself normally, but that's where it's good for me to go all the way through it. And so today you're going to have to pay attention a little bit better, and I'm not going to keep your attention with a lot of what I say. You're going to have to just focus in for a little bit today. Some of you, you know, we'll see how long it takes Juan to fall asleep on me in the side room. We had a men's thing yesterday, and he did very good for a while. But then when his arms got crossed like this, and I thought he was agreeing, but I don't know if that was quite agreeing that was going on right there. And, uh, and Manny, Manny did pretty good, though, too, so those two. Anyways, Hebrews chapter 7, as we dive into the message today, I want you to go back to chapter 5 for a second, and then we're going to jump into chapter 7. Chapter 5, verse number 10 says, Called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then you see he goes off on, the author here goes off on a rabbit trail and says, you're not ready for what I need to tell you. And then he tells them that they need to move on and grow in their maturity for the Lord. And then today he's going back into where he was going. The problem is, as we look at this, in this room today, most of you in this room are not Jews. So when we look back at the Old Testament and the priesthood and the law, to them it meant way more to them than what it does to you and I today. And one, as we'll look at here today, we'll see that in all reality, we see this guy Melchizedek, he's only mentioned in the Old Testament twice. A portion of scripture in the book of Genesis, and then again in Psalm 110 in one verse. And then he's mentioned again here in Hebrews chapter number 7. Now, you could go on Google, and you could Google, who is Melchizedek? And you're going to get tons of answers and different thoughts from different people. I've got different commentaries. I've read lots of different things over the past few weeks about who people think Melchizedek is. I was hoping, Albert, I looked at some of your notes that I've gotten from you. You don't even say in there who you think Melchizedek is. You just leave that alone. I think you do that on purpose. And so I know, I know what you're doing there. And I'm like, I, I was literally... Just this last week, I'm like, I wonder what Albert thinks about that one. So I, and I'm like, yeah, I should have known. He wasn't even going to answer that one for me on there. And so there's lots of different schools of thought when it comes to Melchizedek. And so you say, so what do you think? I'm just not going to answer it. No, I'm going to give you a little thought, and then we'll move into the message today. So there are two trains of thought that people go with. One is that this is just a guy that they lost his records so they don't know when his days began, don't know who his mom and dad was. That's the idea that, and it's amazing how many people think that. I do not believe that. When it says, and we'll read today, that he has no father or mother, no beginning of days or ending of days, it has to be an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, in my opinion. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But this Melchizedek, that's, it's a Christophany, I believe. And we'll look at it today. But it's interesting to note that literally over the next four chapters, the author of Hebrews shifts direction now and is bringing up, you know, we've seen that Jesus is better than the angels. He's better than the prophets. And it goes through all these things. Now we're going to see 
that Jesus is better than the priesthood of Aaron. Which for the Jews to think about the priesthood of Aaron, that's a big deal. We'll see in chapter 8 how Jesus is better than the Old Covenant. That's a, the old te- that's a big deal to the Jews. And he's better. See in chapter 9 how he's a better sanctuary. And in chapter 10 how Christ is a better sacrifice. So all these things for the Jews, it makes sense. And so as we look here today, you might be saying, well, how does this apply to me? These are believers that literally were reverting back to some of their old practices. And the author here is reminding them that you don't need that stuff. You have Christ. There's no need to search for anything else. There are a lot of times that Christians go searching for other things. You don't need anything else. You have Jesus Christ. Leave, he's, he is the best thing you could ever have. You need nothing else. When you've tasted of Jesus' water, you'll never thirst again. The things of this world, they keep you thirsty. And you keep having to drink and drink and drink and drink. You'll never be satisfied. In Jesus Christ, you and I can be satisfied. So today we look at this Melchizedek. And I, you, I know on the screen you see 28 verses. We're going to go through all those. But I'm not going to read them at the beginning. I'm going to read them under each point. So that way it fits right where we're at. And I'm not reading it through twice to save a couple of minutes. But as we get here today, a couple weeks ago I mentioned the name Melchizedek. And be honest in this room. Last service, there were several hands raised. The first time I mentioned Melchizedek in Hebrews 5, I had several people say, that's the first they really even heard that name. How many of you know very little about Melchizedek? And maybe you haven't even heard much about him. So we're going to look at You say, well, why is he such a prominent figure in all these things? You're going to see today. Because you've got to think of Abraham. For the children of Israel, they trace their, he is their, like their founding father, right? Abraham is. And so when Abraham, that's a great place for the author with the Jews here to go back to. So we look here today, we look at verse number one. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now, before we read on, I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 14. And it's going to be on the screens there in your notes. I want you to see what takes place. So this is where we see Melchizedek come up. And I know you look and you're like, well, in Hebrews it's spelt one way. In the book of uh, Genesis it's spelt another way. Greek and Hebrew, the difference. That's the difference there. Verse 17 says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadalatomir. It's quite a name right there, right? And uh, what happened was, Lot's family, got, they lived near Sodom, right? They lived in that area, and that area quit paying the tribute they were supposed to pay to these other kings. And so what happened was they went to battle with another, with one another, and then Lot's family and all those people there, they were taken captive. Abraham hears about it, and Abraham goes and basically rescues him is what happens and delivers him. So after this victory, the king of Sodom went out to meet him after the return from the slaughter of Shadalatomir, of the kings that were with him in the valley of Shaveth, which is the king's dale. Now it says, verse 18, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. Now, it's interesting that the king of Salem here brings forth bread and wine. When you think of bread and wine, what do you think of? Think of the Lord's Supper, right? That's what I think of as the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine. And so you have this king of Salem bringing bread and wine. And not only is he a king... But he's the priest of the Most High God. Now, you think about this. 
Did the tribe of Levi, were the priests even around yet? No, they weren't here yet. So nothing had been written about the high priest in that office yet. This is before that time. And this guy, Melchizedek, is king of Salem, and he's the priest of the Most High God. Next verse. It says, And he blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, Abram, gave him tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young man have eaten, the portion of the men which were with me in Aner, Eshcol, and memory. Let them take their portion. So we see that after this victory, we see that the king of Sodom and the king of Salem meet with Abram. And Abram gives a tithe to this Melchizedek. And there's something special about this guy Melchizedek. In Psalm 110, it mentions, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's the only two times in the Old Testament Melchizedek's even mentioned. And it's interesting to note. And just, so, just some, some thoughts there. The king of Sodom was a real guy. This king of Salem, he's real, he's there. I believe in Old Testament appearance of Jesus, there's been others. The captain of the Lord's host that came to Joshua and he fell down before him. That's another example there. I think you go a couple chapters further in Genesis. And to Abraham, we see that the Lord was there with him too. Now, when we look at this, and we take the time to think about this, one spiritual application from this passage I want to give you, then we're going to move on to today. Abram had a victory, right? Sometimes in the Christian life, we get victory over something, and we all of a sudden think, whew, we can relax, right? Do you ever, ever been there? But normally, when after a spiritual victory, that is the greatest time of temptation, and the struggle comes. Now, this is a real passage. These real things happen. I also think that it's kind of a picture of what happens in the Christian life. I think the king of Sodom very easily could represent the devil, and the king of Salem represents the Lord. And we are tempted at times to not do what we should with the Lord. And we see the king of Sodom, just keep it for yourself. And Abram's like, no, God bless me, I'm going to give to him. And I think that you can see some spiritual parallels right there. That's just a side note. There's a lot more we could say there. So we go to our text today, back in Hebrews, and this is the one time in the Old Testament we see Melchizedek mentioned. And as we look here and we think about him, you think about the fact that God raised up priests of the tribe of Levi. And these priests, through Aaron is where it began and continued on, these priests did their best with what they could do, right? But they were not perfect. They could not, before they could make a sacrifice for the people, they had to sacrifice for themselves. They could not just sacrifice for the people. They, had to, they were imperfect. So as we look here and we dive in today, the author of Hebrews here gives really basically three about first argument, number one, we're going to dive right in. We see the historical argument about Melchizedek and Abraham here. Let's read verse number two. It talks about the fact to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. 
without father, without mother, without descent. This is talking about Melchizedek here. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, and have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he who descend is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham, and blessed him that had the promises. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, Levi also, who receiveth tithes, paid tithes in Abraham. For he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. And you're like, what in the world was all that right there? I know, that's a lot right there, isn't it? As we look at our text here today, and as we dive in, we look at this historical argument, we begin with this here, letter A, the fact that this Melchizedek was both king and priest. This didn't happen. This was not a normal happening, right? And as we think about this, the throne and the altar were separate. Do you remember how Saul went in and he tried to do the priestly duty? Or Uzziah went in to the, and he tried to do the priestly things? He got leprosy for doing it. There was a separation between the kings and the priests. The tribe that the kings come from in Israel was the tribe of Judah. The priests come from the tribe of Levi. And so as we look here, this Melchizedek, there's something special about this guy. Because he is both king and he's priest. And when he's not some counterfeit, he is the priest of the Most High God. Doesn't get any higher than that, does it? This Melchizedek, he's quite the guy. He is both king and priest. Letter B, his name is significant. You'll notice throughout the Bible that as someone is named, their name has a meaning behind it. So as we look at the name Melchizedek, and anybody name your kid Melchizedek lately? They're Mel for short and Kizedek for the rest. No, that's not a name we use often today. Literally the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. So this guy, Melchizedek, he is, his name means king of righteousness in Hebrew. And he is the king of Salem. Where is Salem? Salem is Jerusalem before it was named Jerusalem. So this, this guy, Melchizedek, is a priest and king. And his name means king of righteousness, and he is the king of Jerusalem. And Salem is where we get the word peace from. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. This is quite a guy. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible, a lot of times, righteousness and peace go together? Do a Bible study sometime. Righteousness and peace, those words come together a lot. Like you'll notice that we in Romans 5, 1, that we, are, we have peace with God because we've been justified, right? We've been deemed righteous by God. So you see how righteousness and peace come together. So we see that this Melchizedek, that literally his name means king of righteousness king of Salem, king of peace. And so he's quite the guy. Not only that, but letter C, we see that he receives tithes from Abraham. 
I pastor, I knew tithing was going to come up somewhere when you see this. I know. Where do you go when you talk about giving to the Lord? I'm just going to give you one little thought on giving. This isn't a message on giving this morning. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. What you treasure most will be reflected in your checkbook. Most people don't use checkbooks today. But um, if you, how many of you, let's be honest here, how many of you still use a registry, a register? I do. You're like, what is a register? That's the problem. Most people don't know what that is. That's the, that's the old-fashioned way of keeping track of everything. I still use it. I, I, that, that's the way I do my checkbook. And so, and uh, that way, if the computer ever crashes, it's right there. And I know to a penny right where it's at. It's accurate right there. And uh, you say, do you add every little thing on it? No, I summarize some of the debit things and add it all in, but it's right there for me. Tithing is not mentioned in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament thought. Say, so then we don't have to, you should give to God. You really should. And your heart, the Bible talks about you should be a cheerful giver. Not giving of necessity or grudgingly. God loves a cheerful giver. And I believe you can look very closely at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And I believe that we should give, I think of grace giving is the way I like to word it today. You should give to God. After all he's done, we should. You say, well, where should I draw the line? You figure that out with you and God. Some people, and there are a lot of people that love to do, they like the 10% thing. They like to follow that. I don't think God's going to be mad at you for giving him 10%. I don't think God's going to be mad if you give him 15%. I also think that if you just give to the Lord, you just do, just do your best with it and put him first. He should, God should be important in our lives. And we do it in all other areas. Make the Lord important. And literally, a lot of times in churches, the way it goes is you have those that tithe that or above and beyond and then you have very few that go in between and then it's either all or nothing and I would just like people have come to me and say well pastor I cannot give God 10% start giving him something figure out something to give him I would say you say I can't give him I can't give him 10% can you give him $20 start somewhere but you need to get your priorities in order if you can uh, go out, eat, eat out every day of the week, but you can't give God $5, then maybe you need to eat at home a little bit and give God a little bit from there. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You're like, Pastor, you just want my money. Listen, listen, make sure you understand something. This is the Lord's church, and he takes care of this place. There are times we are short on money, and it's amazing to me. I will just get phone calls. That was, a few weeks ago, we were short on some money. I get a phone call from a guy. Hey, are you at church? No, I can't be. He's like, yeah, you should come real quick. He doesn't attend our church. I just gave a $5,000 check to me for anything the church needs. Because God always takes care of it. So we don't need your money. But I think our hearts matter, and it's a big deal. So just keep that in mind, and that's all I'll say about it. But we see that Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham. And we, as we look at this and we see it, we think about tithe, it means a tenth. He gave one-tenth. And under Jewish law, the Jews were commanded to give God one-tenth of their crops, their herds, their flocks. That's found in Leviticus. You got the notes there, and I put those verses there. And then that tithe was given to the Levites, and that's how they were able to do what they were able to do. I had a lady a while back, she was a homeless lady that was coming to our church. 
and she came up to me and handed me a bag, a black bag, and I'm like, I'm just praying what's in that black bag. And she said she went to the food, some food bank, I don't know if it's food fly for another one, and she gave, she wanted to give the Lord one-tenth of her rice. She had no money, so she gave the Lord one-tenth of her rice. I like the heart behind that, though, don't you? This lady has nothing, and she gave that. That's why you think about, think about in the New Testament, Jesus was amazed at the lady that gave the two mites, not the one who had all the money they could give, the one who sacrificially gave and loved the Lord. It's all about the heart. But anyways, this is what they would do. But I want you to understand something. Most people would look and say, well, tithing originated with Moses because Moses is where the law came from. But we see here that Abraham somehow, and for some reason, gave a tithe long before Moses ever came along. And he gave them to this guy. Letter D. We see the fact that his family history is different, Melchizedek. When we look at him, we see in verse number 3, it says he's without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but unto the Son that abideth the priest continually. Now, one thing we all have in common in this room, everyone in this room had a mother and a father. You wouldn't be here otherwise. That's the way it works. So this guy had no father, no mother. So, you know, another valid question. Did Melchizedek have a belly button? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Probably not. But he didn't have a mom. He doesn't have a dad. He has no beginning of days or no ending of days. Everybody that's been born into this world has a beginning date, right? And everyone has an expiration date. It's the way it works. Adam had a beginning date and he had an expiration date. This Melchizedek had no mom, no dad, no beginning of days, and no ending of days as we look here. And we see this. His family history is a little different. Did you know in order to be a priest, a high priest, or a priest of Levi, they would trace your lineage and where you were to make sure you fit into that area. You go to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah and see, they they were real particular about all that stuff. So you have a high priest here, a priest of the Most High God, that doesn't have a mom and doesn't have a dad. He has no beginning of days, no ending of days. This guy is different. And not only that, but letter E, he had the authority to receive the tithes, and he had the authority to bless Abraham. Not just anybody has the authority to do those things. And God gave him that authority as we look at it. This guy is different. As we look at him, we believe that he, and I believe sincerely that Melchizedek is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of Jesus right here. And may I just remind you, the Old Testament is full of pictures of Jesus. That's what it is. He is the theme of the Old Testament and New Testament and everything in between. He is all of it. So this pictures Jesus Christ. But will you notice he talks about the fact that this guy, Melchizedek, was special, special enough that Abraham took of his goods and gave him 10%, and this priest of the Most High God blessed him before Aaron and the priesthood even began. And in fact, you look here, it says that also the priest, Aaron and his sons, and that the tribe of Levi, through Abraham, technically gave tithes to Melchizedek through the loins of Abraham because they were his children down the line. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. Does that make sense? So we see the first argument made here is this historical one about Abraham and Melchizedek. 
The second argument that is made here is, number two, the doctrinal argument between Christ and Aaron. Now, as we look here, I want you to look at me at verse number 11, and we're going to read through verse 25. There's a lot of reading here, but I'm going to make sense of it here in a minute. Are we all doing good so far? Are we still all here? All right, good. Good, Juan, he's coughing. He's still awake. All right, here we go, verse 11. If therefore perfection, we use that word often in the book of Hebrews, perfection, complete, fulfilled. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made a necessity a change also of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. You know, the Lord, when he, in the Old Testament, when the law was given, the tribe of Levi is where the priests come from, right? Is Jesus of the tribe of Levi? No, he's of the tribe of Judah. So we see here for his evident, verse number 14 says, for his evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before, for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect. That Old Testament law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did, by which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not without an oath, he was made priest. For those priests were made without an oath, but this was an oath by him, said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made a surety of that better testament or covenant. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. There were a lot of priests in Aaron's line. Why? Because they died. And there would be another one, and another one, and another one. Verse 24, But this man, Jesus, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by Jesus, seeing Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for them. So we see this doctrinal argument between Christ and Aaron. And when we look at this and we break this down, the first thing that we see is, why did we need Christ? Why did the law need to be done away with? Because the priesthood and the law were imperfect. You could almost say that the priesthood and the law were passing time. And we'll talk more in depth about this here in just a second. So as we look here, we think about some facts. The Old Testament priest only, you think about this, they could not complete the work. If they could complete the work of priest, they could have offered a sacrifice once and been done, right? But every year they would offer a sacrifice, right? For themselves and for the people, because they could not do away, they, they could not complete it. And you'll also notice 
that the law was not meant to be a permanent system. The law was added to be a schoolmaster for us, the Bible tells us. The law was there so that you and I would see that, you think about this, when you offend in one area of God's law, you offend in all of it, the Bible says. So the law was there, you know, there are those that say, if I'm good, if I'm good, I can go to heaven. If I'm good, I'm good with God. That's not how it works. Because once you do one offense or you go against God's law once, you're guilty of the whole law. And the law was there to show us we needed something better than the law. The priests were there to show them they needed something better than those priests because they were imperfect. They couldn't do the job and complete the task before them. You know, the old priests, where did they receive their, um, their authority? They received their authority from the Old Testament. And since... The priesthood is now changed, it says here. There must have been a change to the law as well. Like the President of the United States today couldn't just get up and say, I'm king now, and my family's going to be in charge forever now. It can't. Why? Because the laws in place say that every four years you vote in a president. That's the law. They would have to change the law before the president could say that. And let's just hope that never takes place in America. So as we look here, in order for the law to be changed, the law had to be fulfilled. None of us could ever fulfill the law in that we have broken the law and offended the law so jesus christ when he came fulfilled the law and fulfilled it by keeping it and because he kept it he ushered out the old law and brought in the new covenant this is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you this do in remembrance of me he could usher out the old law and he could bring in the new covenant, and he became our high priest because he could complete it all. Does that make sense? Whereas Aaron and the law were incomplete. They were not perfect. Jesus Christ, being who he is, ushered in the new law, the new covenant, and he became our high priest. But why Aaron's seed and Aaron, the tribe, of, the tribe of Levi, could not continue on because they were imperfect. Letter B. We see that being imperfect, the priesthood and the law could not continue forever. Verse 15 talks about that. It says, And it is yet far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another. Do you see that word another there? It means another of a different kind. Another priest who is made, he's not made after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment, so this time about the law, going before, because the law was weak and unprofitable. What it's saying. For the law made nothing perfect. 
but the bringing of a better hope than the covenant did by which we draw nigh unto God. As we think about this fact, you think about Aaron's line, you think about the law, and we think about these things, you'll notice the Levitical priests were made priests by the authority of a temporary and imperfect law. Jesus, do you know how it says there, for he testifieth? God's the one who testified. God said, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. God put Jesus Christ and, and made him the ultimate king, uh, not a uh, high priest. And by doing that, as we look here, we see the fact that Jesus lives forever. There's no need for another. You see, the temporary laws, we look back there, it says, it says, you were made after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. And you see, by Jesus being God's son, his priesthood continues forever because he lives forever. Where Aaron and his children and that line would die, they could not always continue, and they were not perfect. And since Jesus Christ is priest forever, and since he has a nature to match his eternal priesthood, he will never be replaced. There is no more high priest. So what this is saying, you know why the author here said, hey, you need, I don't think you're ready for this. The high priesthood of Aaron and his seat, it's done. Jesus Christ fulfilled all of that. He is the high priest forever. That's a lot for them to take in. And as we just continue here, we see the fact that there was a disannulling of the law. Abolish the priesthood. But no one can abolish an endless life. The power of an endless life. The thing here is the, Jesus Christ is a priest forever. He accomplished what he needed to, and Jesus brought in that new hope, the better hope, that new covenant, which draws us nigh to God. And really what the author's saying is for you to go back into your Judaism would mean losing out on the joy of the fellowship that you have with God. Do you, do you remember how it was for the, the Old Testament? You could not just have a close relationship with God. You could not walk into that holy area on your own. Yes, God had relation. You know, we talk about David, we talk about others. God had a relationship with man in the Old Testament. But the priest is the one who went to God. Literally, you and I can go before God today because of Jesus Christ and what he did in our lives. That is way better and a better hope than what they had before Christ came. And so we see these things in letter C. We also see that God's oath can't be broken. In so much as not, verse 20 says, not without an oath was he made priest. For those priests were made without an oath. But this was an oath by him that said, the Lord swear and will not repent. God's not going to change his mind that he made Jesus to be our high priest. It is done. It's, and we've looked at before the fact that um, last week, God cannot lie, Right? So when God says something, he means what he says. And verse number 22 tells us, By so much was Jesus made a surety of the better testament. The word surety right there literally means one who guarantees that the terms of the agreement will be carried out. If you remember, think of the Old Testament. Remember how Joseph is in Egypt, and Joseph wants them to bring their younger brother. And Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin go. Because he's like, I already lost Joseph. I don't want 
Benjamin gone. And Judah says, I will give you my life in place of his. He was the surety of it. Sometimes um, when someone's younger and you might, they have no credit and sometimes people co-sign for somebody and I'm not saying it's a smart thing to do anything like that. But why would someone co-sign? Because you're saying, I guarantee that this is going to get paid if this person doesn't. So you better be very careful if you co-sign for somebody because if they don't pay it, it comes back to you. And a lot of people, I didn't realize, I was just trying to be a nice person. It's good to be nice, but it's also good to be smart. That's a whole other story there. And kind of Paul did the same thing for Onesimus, didn't he? With Philemon. I think it was kind of the same thing. He kind of said, hey, you can take him. I vouch for him. So Jesus Christ is the mediator between God and men. And he is God's great surety. Our, you think about our risen Savior guarantees the terms of the covenant and that he's fulfilled them completely. He will never abandon his people. And we'll talk more about that covenant next week in chapter 8. We also look at next letter D, as we look at this doctrinal argument between Christ and Aaron, we see being men that the priest died. Aaron's line, they died. One after another, right? That's how it works. But Jesus Christ is a priest not after Aaron, after Melchizedek, the one who had no beginning of days or ending of days. That's why Melchizedek is so important here. And so when we look at this, he is our high priest, and it's an unchangeable. You look there at verse number 23. Says, and they truly that were priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. There were many priests because of that. But this man, but this Jesus, because he continueth, he lives forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. No one else will take his place. He is forever the priest. And I love verse 25. Look at what it says here. Wherefore, because of this, Jesus is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Jesus, seeing Jesus ever liveth to make intercession for them. You see, he's able to save us. It doesn't matter where you're at or what you've done. I've heard people say, Pastor, I've done too much. He will save you to the uttermost, it says right here. Thank God for that today. And thank God for a Savior that also makes intercession for us. It literally means, that word intercession means to meet, to approach, to appeal, to make petition. Thank God for what Jesus has done for us. Thank God he can save us and we can draw nigh to God because of what Jesus did. We've seen a historical argument, we've seen a doctrinal argument, and lastly today, we see a practical argument. Christ and the believer. Look at verse 26 through 28, and we'll be done here in just a minute. Everyone still all right? All right, if you're not, you're going to have to go back and listen again, or you're going to have to ask me later to explain myself better. Sometimes Caroline will do that. She'll be like after a message. Um, you need to re-explain, you need to explain this to me again. And then I try to explain again, then she's like, again? No, she doesn't quite do it that way. And then I'm like, I don't even know what I said, so we'll just leave it at that. Verse 26, for such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests offer up sacrifices, First for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the Son, which is consecrated forevermore. 
We look here, no matter how obedient or how good the priest under Aaron were, none of them were holy like Jesus is holy. None of them were, the word harmless means blameless. None of them were blameless like Jesus. None of them were undefiled. I love that next one. Separate from sinners. Jesus was separate from sinners, yet he ate with publicans and sinners. What a savior he is. None of the priests were made higher than the heavens. That phrase there, it says, for such an high priest became us. It means he was suited to us. He meets our needs completely. Because of their sin, the Old Testament priests were not able to serve the people, but they actually at times abused them. Jesus could never do that because he is God. Yes, the, whole, the Old Testament priests were set apart. In a sense, they were holy, but they were not holy in character. We think about Aaron's son. We can mention him. He's not holy in character like God is holy. It wasn't blameless like God is blameless. No priest could claim that. That's why sometimes, hey, just a little thought. You know, it talks about how a bishop, a pastor, should be blameless. It does not mean the same thing as Jesus being blameless. Because there is no one on the face of this planet that is blameless. Jesus is the only one to ever be. And there's some other thoughts I'd give you there, but just a little thing there. We also see the fact that it talks about how the priests had to keep offering up sacrifices, but Jesus did it once for all. At the end of the day, the application, and you think about what Jesus did for us. And I love what 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2 tells us. It says, My little children, these things have I written unto you that ye sin not. Well, that's great. We shouldn't sin. We know that. I love that verse number 2 continues on. And if and when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he is the propitiation, the appeasement for our sins. But not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now I'll hear some people talk about a limited atonement. And I think I get what some are saying, but some people are kind of backwards in the way they say that limited atonement. Jesus' blood shed on the cross is good enough for every person that ever has been born into this world to save them. But if you don't receive the gift, then it is limited. I get it that way. That's a good way to word it there. Because you must receive salvation in order to have it. But I want you to understand, Jesus' blood is enough for everyone who's ever been born into this world. For the sins of the whole world. Hey, Christian, this morning, you might not struggle trying to go back to Aaron's priesthood and go back to the law. Although there are Christians that do try to go back to the law. And I can have a better, there, there are Baptists I know. You can have a better relationship with Jesus if you just follow these rules. That's not Bible. You can have a great relationship through Jesus Christ. Jesus is what makes the difference. A little thought for you this morning. Yeah, you might not struggle with those things like they did here in the book of Hebrews. But what are you searching for when you've got Jesus? You don't need anything else. What are you trying to find? Oh, pastor, there's got to be more. No, if you have Jesus, you have all that you need. You need nothing else. 
quit searching in other places and find your satisfaction in Jesus and what he's done for you. What a Savior.